Welcome to the Arrangers Podcast. I'm Aaron Hedenstrom. And I'm Drew Zaremba. The Arrangers Podcast is dedicated to the insightful discussion of music arranging and composition. What we do takes a lot of hard work and resources. We are asking for support from listeners like you to continue to make this podcast available for everybody. Please consider contributing a monthly donation to our Patreon platform. We sincerely appreciate any contributions you are able to give. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram or leave a review on iTunes. Be sure to send us your questions and feedback to thearrangerspodcast at gmail.com and find out more at www.thearrangerspodcast.com. Let's dive in. So in May of 2019, Aaron and I, we, we attended the International Society of Jazz Composers and Arrangers, or ISJAC for short, symposium in Greeley, Colorado, and we had the opportunity to interview many of the world's leading composers and arrangers. For those of you who don't know, ISJAC is a fantastic organization that unites jazz composers and arrangers together to promote new works, share research and knowledge, and bond together in community. This interview, we got to talk to the founder of the organization itself, the wonderful Chuck Owen. Chuck is one of the leading voices of jazz composition today and has an incredibly long list of accomplishments, including composing for the Smithsonian Jazz Masterworks Orchestra, the Metropole Orchestra, the Tonight Show Orchestra, the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra, and the Dave Liebman Big Band, not to mention his own big band, the Jazz Surge, which he founded in 1995, and has six albums, three of which have been Grammy-nominated. Yes. Chuck is an amazing person, and out of his love for community, jazz composition, and trying to get people together, he started ISJAC. He's been a, a, a force in education for a long time, and he's a distinguished professor in Southern Florida. And uh, we actually have a really interesting personal connection to him, too, uh, mostly through you, Aaron, and your dissertation, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Uh, in fact, Chuck's work, River Runs, which is a five-movement suite for jazz ensemble and symphonic orchestra, um, just happened to be the subject of my dissertation when I was going to school at University of North Texas. So I'm very familiar with his writing. It's, uh, it's incredibly moving and beautiful, and uh, there's a lot of diverse influences musically. So it was a, a real joy to talk to him and to get his, his perspective on things. Yes. Yeah. Without any further ado, let's, let's roll straight to the interview with Chuck Owen, May 2019 at the ISJAC conference in Greeley, Colorado. Hello, this is Drew Zaremba of the Arrangers podcast, and I have the great fortune of sitting with uh, the director and founder of the International Society of Jazz Composers and Arrangers, uh, Mr. Chuck Owen. How are you doing, Chuck? I'm doing great, Drew. It's great to be here. In Greeley, getting ready for our conference. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, what, uh, what I wanted to ask you uh, first, this is a special question just for you. How did ISJAC start, and how did uh, it all come about? Um, ISJAC is a little bit, it's, it's not a simple answer. It's, it's a little bit of an, a center, a research center. I started at the University of South Florida called um, Center for Jazz Composition. Um, and we had had a 
good fortune to be funded initially, and then the whole um, recession hit, and funding kind of totally dried up state funding, and so it, it just basically went away, uh, and kind of thought we were on to something here. We, we had a bunch of programs that we had launched, including this Jazz um, Composers Symposium, which we thought there was uh, kind of a need for. And we certainly believed in the whole idea of kind of more uh, research in, in jazz composition and all that, So, and promotion of jazz composition. So Dave Stamps, who helped me with the Center for Jazz Composition, and I, and then Brian Coyle, a longtime former student who was up at... Um, in Michigan at mm-hmm. Gustavus um, uh, College, but had also been, he contacted me actually first and said, hey, I noticed you're not doing the symposium anymore. What would you think about if we launched one here? And I said, well, hold it, Brian. <laughs> I'm not, you know, this is kind of my, my baby. <laughs> um, and, and no, but, no, but I said, you know, it's funny because we've been, we, been thinking about that and why don't we get together at, I have a place in the mountains in North Carolina, um, mm, which is nice. uh, like a writing retreat place for me. Mm. And uh, and so I said, why don't we all just get together there for a long weekend and chat about it? Mm. And so it was both a lot of fun just to hang, you know, and we went did a little hiking, I did a little cooking. and nice. um, But uh, we spent actually, I mean, we would probably spend 10-hour days envisioning and talking about this by three or four days in a row and came up with what we thought was a uh, you know a mission and uh for this sort of organization and what we would kind of like to accomplish and then there's a kind of a laundry list of people that we thought that might help us you know get it going um and so that wasn't the start of it it took us probably six months to to kind of put the wheels in motion you know get all the legal documents drawn up get the board put together and all that sort of thing but it it actually went pretty quickly from that point on we found a lot of people that once we explained what it was about they bought in pretty quick yeah well why wouldn't it's what we love and what we cherish well that's it certainly is what yeah i i I hope that is the general sentiment because certainly what i love and value and uh um, I, I really do think there's a, a, a need for this sort of organization to um, bring composers kind of together to give a, a chance to build a sense of community and right. uh, and support. Yeah, um, often as composers we're solitary in what we do. The, the writing process in itself is solitary, but then the the community the community is often with performers. That's exactly not right. As much with composers. That's exactly right, and, and it's it's really cool. That's something as composers we really value. Of course. But at the same time, I think there's real value also in getting together and kind of talking shop with other composers and arrangers. Um, yes. And and we share a lot of the same frustrations as well as the same joys. Um, well said. And it's kind of. What I'd like to see is us make some kind of headway in trying to figure out how we can make some of those frustrations a little bit less frustrating and, you know, and, and advance uh, opportunities for everybody. Yeah. Well said. That's, that's awesome. Well, I'm sure this week is going to be really successful. And we're all really looking forward to it. Oh, I am too. I'm, you know, I, I'm always dog tired about this time um, of the symposium, and it's so pumped up, it's hard to restrain myself. So. Right, of course, um, yeah. of course. All right, on to the shop questions. Okay. Because uh, this is this is what we're what we're going to actually do, and what we might do for next symposium is do a poster session on how different composers and arrangers respond to these questions, similarities and and differences. That's cool. That'd be great. Something we're thinking about. Yeah. Anyways. um, Okay, so 
question one. What two or th- three things, if you can boil it down to those, just two or three things, did you, what milestone moments made a big difference in your composing and arranging career and education? Well, two or three moments. Uh, one or, or things. Or yeah. Things. One is pretty obvious to me. Um, and then the others, there's so many others that were seemingly important, but one, the, the, probably the most important one is, um, was kind of getting the um, kind of gumption to put my own band together, uh, the, the Jazz Surge. Now, I actually had we a band. just ba- talking about yeah, it a minute ago. <laughs> exactly. Um, I actually had a band um, out when I was out in L.A. Um, it, Gordon Goodwin and I had a band together. Um, really? Yeah. You it was, and Gordon Goodwin? Yeah. It was, How? it was called Fault Line, the Fault Line Big Band. A um, young Chuck Owen and a young Gordon Goodwin. Very young, both of us. Wow. <laughs> both Fault ro- Line. Yeah, both right out of college. And it was an all, I mean, it was an all-star band. It was, really? It was amazing, the, the players we had. I mean, it was, you know, L.A. And yeah. Uh, was, that, was Clay Jenkins in that Clay band? Was it, Clay was in that yeah. band, yep. Yeah. Um, uh, I was, you know, Steve Hatton, Dan Higgins oh, was, yeah. um, uh, uh, man, but, um, Marienthal was in it for a minute. Um, the people that went through that band, it was, it was pretty amazing. I, especially for me as a young age, I was looking, these were all, you know, so many people I just kind of marveled at. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, the dream team. Yeah. So, in a way. Yeah. So that, having that band was important, although, um, not nearly as important as, uh, in my mind as the decision I made um, in the mid-90s. Now I'm, you know, uh, 40 years old or something like that mm-hmm. and, and well kind of ensconced in my academic career. Right. But at that point, to, to put a band together in Florida, it's, it's a different challenge. Um, right. In some ways, it's a, it was a much greater challenge. But then to also commit myself to really kind of writing for it and, and moving forward with that band... Uh, without a doubt, that that's been probably the most important thing I've done in my my career is to to make that that shift. Um, in what way did that change the game for you? I, I was kind of all in as far as compos- composing at that point in time. I mean, I had been writing. I, you know, I'd do like I had a full teaching load. I had kids. I, I mean, a, a family that. Uh, um, so I I'd write two or three charts a year depending on you know what somebody write commissioned me to write something and everything and you know and they'd I'd publish them and all that mm-hmm. and occasionally some people would play them most of it was university bands playing them though sure this was a different thing this was with uh, writing for surge was you know writing for all professionals um, that had very little time to, to meet and it, it was it's like a union shop <laughs> you know, band basically. Right. Um, at the time, I didn't know any of these people either. Uh, it was I, mean, I tried to get the very best players I could in, in all of kind of Central Florida, um, sure. and so I was I was tapping a whole bunch of people I didn't know. But mostly, I had to write a whole lot of music, um, wow. and wow. nobody was commissioning. It was not for anything except for me. Yeah. And that was, that, that's a, it's, it's freeing, but it's also a big, important artistic step because I'm not writing to meet the demands or even to, you know, sometimes it's not that people are demanding. It's just that you know what the group likes. You know what the leader who's commissioning you likes and everything. So you're writing for them. Yes. And this was not that. This was writing for me. Um, Most people expect a certain level of, you know, 
climax or excite energy just to carry the piece forward. For, right. You know, for for they're keeping the audience mostly in mind, or which is something you do anyways. But it's yeah. it's a different level. Right. Of, or they, it's got to be has to be under six minutes, or it's got to right. be over three, or you know right, whatever. Right, I mean. Right. Uh, there's all sorts of restrictions stated and sometimes unstated Mm -hmm. Uh, but this was um, it was just very freeing for me and I kind of found my passion for it again Um, I hadn't totally lost it I just hadn't really been pursuing it very actively Um, so it was kind of late in life you know to have that kind of life changing moment but but that really was a, a, a pretty big moment for me um that's interesting you know actually I, I i don't know if it's actually that late in life because i think you look at a lot of even composers that some sometimes they'll even their 20s and 30s like or, or jazz artists improvisers you know they'll cut their teeth for in their 20s and 30s and then in their late 30s or even 40s and beyond that's when they make their first kind of big album you know or, yeah or what have you or whatever I don't. I don't know if it's that. Late. Yeah. It's, I, well, and honestly, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times I kind of beat myself up. I, I said, I said, you know, I, boy, I wish I had moved to New York when I was younger or something like that. I don't think I was ready for it, to be quite honest. Um, you know, we were talking about the, the advantages of, of teaching and how much you learn learn through teaching, and, right. and and I think that was really important for me. Um, I. I I was never, I wasn't even going to be a musician until I was like a senior in high school. I, it was not somebody who was, I was more focused on playing baseball and, <laughs> and, you know, hiking and camping and stuff like that than I was on music all growing up. So right. I came at, at the whole music thing pretty late compared to a lot of, of my peers. And uh, mm. um, I just had a lot of, of growing to do, I think. And sure. so in some ways for me, the timing was perfect. It, it was, I was, I think maybe ready and even looking back at that moment I'm not sure I was completely ready but Mm -hmm. I learned very quickly where I was deficient and I and I you know made strides to kind of correct that hopefully I'm still making strides to correct it aren't we all aren't we all maybe uh, actually could you talk about what one of those uh, deficiencies was for you when you were first teaching? And um, well, I think probably the easy one, and you hear a lot of people talk about this, but is I didn't really trust myself to write the stuff I wanted to write. Mm. It wasn't jazzy enough. It maybe was not commonly used instrumentation. It was using maybe instruments that didn't weren't used very. I mean. There were all these kind of basic big band, you know, standard kind of jazz big band. This is what you do. Sort of, so, yeah, and uh, I just didn't quite trust myself or the way people would perceive me um, to kind of break out of some of that stuff. Um, and I, it was a slow process for me to get there. But the more writing I did, and the more I kind of liked some of the stuff that I thought was maybe looking back, it doesn't seem very risky, but but felt to me at the time it was a little bit riskier right. each each one was a little bit of a baby step further as far as yeah. getting taking some chances or making it more like what I wanted and it's, I found actually those pieces were the ones that people liked and all of a sudden I, I began to trust mm-hmm. I said you know kind of maybe my voice is <laughs> valuable you know I, um, uh, uh, and, no one would ever question that no. well I, yeah I don't know <laughs> yeah I don't know um, I, I love your pieces well Joe. thank you yeah <laughs> uh, I, I, I like most of them. <laughs> uh, 
but you know, and the cool thing is I still, you know, I'm still trying new stuff and I know some of it won't work, but that's, I've learned to really enjoy that facet of it, mm. uh, you know, and, uh, and when things don't work, then try to figure out how to fix them. Right. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay. So here's another one. What's a good trend and a bad trend? Two different ones, obviously, that you see in jazz composition and arranging today. Boy, yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard to answer because I think that in some ways we're the writers of today, jazz composers of today, are maybe as diverse a group of people as we've ever mm. had. Right. So, you know, it's it's not, you can say that there is a trend. I, I think, you know, it's hard for me to point and say, what is that trend? You know, that there's certain writers that are writing in, in trends that I may not like that are having some success or may, mm. may not, think, but, but Others are writing and are having success in a completely very different sort of, of writing style. So I, I don't I don't know. Uh, I'm try- really trying to think of something that I could put my finger on yeah. to to identify a trend that was maybe maybe we can reframe the question. Okay, try in perhaps in young composers and students. What are some things that you've noticed that are okay. happening today that you see are positive and some things that you see which might be negative? Okay, well, that th- does make it a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, I will say, in terms of a lot of young composers, I find way too many people are trying to write in the style of people that they are really excited about, um, whose music that meant a lot to them or still means a lot to them mm-hmm. and they're not really pursuing that individual voice that that kind of uniqueness um, that you know is really going to be what makes their music something that people are going to want to gravitate to I, I will say I think something that a lot of the mistake a lot of composers and arrangers make is trying to conform it kind of goes back to the other answer to conform to this image of what the jazz arranger composer should be um, yeah. and you know there's times and places where that's absolutely appropriate if, and that's one of the confusing things about what we do is that there is this tradition most of which is past I think but where the jazz arranger and composer for working big bands the best big bands that were out there was really also the commercial arranger that was doing jingles. That they they yes. were doing all sorts of, of TV work and album, you know, sweetening work and all this sort of thing. Well, those days are for the most part gone. Mm. Um, and so, when you look at the jazz arranger composer, they don't quite, you know, unless I'm missing something, they're not necessarily coming from that background, or they don't need to kind of orient their work towards that background this workman like always right you know right now if you get a if you get a commission for for something that you have to meet a certain of course you you that's that's your job that you you do that you do that job but then when you write music for yourself you have to differentiate you know and kind of goes again because back to that what i found so kind of freeing is that that's the point where you say hey I don't have to 
write drop two voicings for the saxophone sections <laughs> all the time, you know. <laughs> um, it, it's, you know, it, uh, shoot, I don't have to use five saxes, you know. I, I mean, uh, I, 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 you, know, you, you can break out of some of those, those traditions. And, um, and I, I, that's, I think, uh, one of the things I noticed with young composers, they're really still trying to kind of mimic other folks or else falling into that, that kind of trap. Right. Okay. What about a good trend that you see in young composers? Well, it's going to seem to fly right in the face of what, but <laughs> of what I just said. But I also find there's some very, and not just young composers, but there's more composers doing what I consider pretty creative and, and unique music now. Um, and I keep referring back to big bands, and I really... I'm not intending to be solely big band focused, sure, but yeah. um, but I think people are doing a lot of really creative things uh, um, and and kind of looking at it. Uh, a, a lot of people combining, you know, ethnic and world sorts of mm. m- music's other influences um, in in ways that still kind of embrace the whole jazz tradition but but at the same time you know color it in a way that we get to look at it in a new light and that's what I love I love being able I'm you know I'm I grew up with the jazz tradition I love the jazz tradition um but I like to feel like when I'm listening to a piece of music I'm hearing something kind of new that's something I haven't experienced before and at my age that's getting harder and harder to do you know who are some of the people you're that catch your ear right now? Oh, jeez. Um, uh, honestly, I don't get a chance to listen to as much stuff as, as I'd really like. Of course. Um, but, uh, um, I mean, I'm always, you know, enchanted with the stuff Maria does. She's always, um, I just heard her at the Standard in January, and it was a great set. It was a bunch of her new album stuff. And, uh, Very cool. Um, but, uh, uh, I've heard a bunch of Miho Ozama's uh, music re- uh, recently, and uh, she's doing some uh, very nice, very nice writing uh, with with her. She just came out with a new album, um, kind of a small big band with a string quartet wrapped in inside Ooh. of it, um, and it's 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 quintet kind of thing. Um, it's it's not it's not quite it's uh, well, but it's it's close. Close. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, so I like projects like that 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 you know kind of. Break the norm. Yeah, um, and they don't. It, it doesn't always work, but you know. But I love what the energy that goes into it. Um, so brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, one last question, and that is, uh, what's something that uh, this is a just a fun question? Uh, what's something for fun that people uh, that, that that you do other than music? I, I mean, people, your your love for rafting and, and <laughs> kayaking is, is well known uh, so you can say that if you want to or something else that... I'm not actually doing that much rafting or kayaking anymore uh, um, uh, uh, but I do a lot of hiking and I love to do hiking I, my place in the mountains in North Carolina is um, it's, it's, there's all sorts of incredible hiking especially to waterfalls um, so we there's so I, I do a lot of hiking but the, probably the thing that people would go, what? Um, the, the most, well, I'm, I'm a huge sports junkie too. Oh, yes, um, but, uh, but, but I, I used to play a lot of tournament bridge. And um, really? I'm still into bridge. I do it now mostly on, online stuff. But, no way. But I'm a 
Yeah, I, I like bridge. Excellent. <laughs> yes. Well, not too many people say that. They just <laughs> raise their eyes and say, you mean that old people's game? It's not really an old people's game. It's, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very competitive and very yeah. intense game. Yeah, and I'm really not doing the competition thing anymore. I do it mostly for enjoyment online. Sure. But, but it's, it's, I still find it in, incredibly intriguing and, and a lot of fun. So That's awesome. Yeah. Well, if mind. Yep. Uh, Chuck, thank you so much for that. Uh, we look forward to doing a full interview another time uh, with Aaron around. But uh, the best of luck this week at ISJAC, and uh, we, uh, we can't wait to share this with all of our listeners. Great. Thanks. Very appreciate it. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Arrangers Podcast. If you enjoyed what you just heard, you can support us directly with a small donation on Patreon or by sharing this episode with a friend. You can hear lots of other interviews, score studies, and fun discussions at www.thearrangerspodcast.com or wherever you find podcasts. Bye for now and keep writing.